Chapter Fourteen of The Girl from Montana by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen In a New World. Meantime, the panorama of Elizabeth's life passed on into more peaceful scenes. By means of the telephone and the maid, a lot of new and beautiful garments were provided for her, which fitted perfectly, and which bewildered her not a little until they were explained by Marie. Elizabeth had her meals upstairs until these things had arrived and she had put them on. The texture of the garments was fine and soft, and they were rich with embroidery and lace. The flannels were as soft as the down in a milkweed pod, and everything was of the best. Elizabeth found herself wishing she might share them with Lizzie, Lizzie, who adored rich and beautiful things, and who had shared her meager outfit with her. She mentioned this wistfully to her grandmother, and, in a fit of childish generosity, that lady said, Certainly. Get her what you wish. I'll take you downtown some day, and you can pick out some nice things for them all. I hate to be under obligations. A dozen ready-made dresses had been sent out before the first afternoon was over, and Elizabeth spent the rest of the day in trying on and walking back and forth in front of her grandmother. At last two or three were selected, which it was thought would do, until the dressmaker could be called in to help, and Elizabeth was clothed and allowed to come down into the life of the household. It was not a large household. It consisted of the grandmother, her dog, and the servants. Elizabeth fitted into it better than she had feared. It seemed pleasanter to her than the house on Flora Street. There was more room and more air and more quiet. With her mountain breeding, she could not get her breath in a crowd. She was presently taken in a luxurious carriage drawn by two beautiful horses to a large department store where she sat by the hour and watched her grandmother choose things for her. Another girl might have gone half wild over the delightful experience of being able to have anything in the shops. Not so Elizabeth. She watched it all apathetically, as if the goods displayed about had been the leaves upon the trees set forth for her admiration. She could wear but one dress at once, and one hat. Why were so many necessary? Her main hope lay in the words her grandmother had spoken about sending her to school. The third day of her stay in Rittenhouse Square, Elizabeth had reminded her of it, and the grandmother had said half impatiently, Yes, yes, child, you shall go, of course, to a finishing school. That will be necessary. But first I must get you fixed up. You have scarcely anything to put on. So Elizabeth subsided. At last there dawned a beautiful Sabbath when, the wardrobe seemingly complete, Elizabeth was told to array herself for church, as they were going that morning. With great delight and thanksgiving, she put on what she was told, and when she looked into the great French plate mirror, after Marie had put on the finishing touches, she was astonished at herself. It was all true, after all. She was a pretty girl. She looked down at the beautiful gown of finest broadcloth, with the exquisite finish that only the best tailors can put on a garment, and wondered at herself. The very folds of dark green cloth seemed to bring a grace into her movements. The green velvet hat with its long curling plumes of green and cream color seemed to be resting lovingly above the beautiful hair that was arranged so naturally and becomingly. Elizabeth wore her lovely ermine collar and muff without ever knowing they were costly. 
They all seemed so fitting and quiet and simple, so much less obtrusive than Lizzie's pink silk waist and cheap pink plumes. Elizabeth liked it and walked to church beside her grandmother with a happy feeling in her heart. The church was just across the square. Its tall brown stone spire and arched doorways attracted Elizabeth when she first came to the place. Now she entered with a kind of delight. It was the first time she had ever been to a Sabbath morning regular service in church. The Christian endeavor had been as much as Lizzie had been able to stand. She said she had to work too hard during the week to waste so much time on Sunday in church. The Sabbath was made for man and for rest, she had quoted glibly. For the first time in her life since she left Montana, Elizabeth felt as if she had a real home and was like other people. She looked around shyly to see whether perchance her friend of the desert might be sitting near, but no familiar face met her gaze. Then she settled back and gave herself up to delight in the service. The organ was playing softly, low, tender music. She learned afterward that the music was Handel's Largo. She did not know that the organ was one of the finest in the city, nor that the organist was one of the most skillful to be had. She knew only that the music seemed to take her soul and lift it up above the earth so that heaven was all around her, and the very clouds seemed singing to her. Then came the processional, with the wonderful voices of the choir boys sounding far off and then nearer. It would be impossible for anyone who had been accustomed all his life to these things to know how it affected Elizabeth. It seemed as though the Lord himself was leading the girl in a very special way. At scarcely any other church in a fashionable quarter of the great city would Elizabeth have heard preaching so exactly suited to her needs. The minister was one of those rare men who lived with God and talked with him daily. He had one peculiarity which marked him from all other preachers, Elizabeth heard afterward. He would turn and talk with God in a gentle, sweet, conversational tone right in the midst of his sermon. It made the Lord seem very real and very near. If he had not been the great and brilliant preacher of an old established church and revered by all denominations as well as his own, the minister would have been called eccentric and have been asked to resign because his religion was so very personal that it became embarrassing to some. However, his rare gifts and his remarkable consecration and independence in doing what he thought right had produced a most unusual church for a fashionable neighborhood. Most of his church members were in sympathy with him, and a wonderful work was going forward right in the heart of Sodom, unhampered by fashion or form or class distinctions. It is true there were some who, like Madam Bailey, sat calmly in their seats and let the minister attend to the preaching end of the service without ever bothering their thoughts as to what he was saying. It was all one to them whether he prayed three times or once, so the service got done at the usual hour. But the majority were being led to see that there is such a thing as a close and intimate walk with God upon this earth. Into this church came Elizabeth, the sweet heathen, eager to learn all that could be learned about the things of the soul. She sat beside her grandmother and drank in the sermon and bowed her lovely reverend head when she became aware that God was in the room and was being spoken to by his servant. After the last echo of the recessional had died away, 
and the bowed hush of the congregation had grown into a quiet, well-bred commotion of the putting on of wraps and the low Sabbath greetings, Elizabeth turned to her grandmother. Grandmother, may I please go and ask that man some questions? He said just what I have been longing and longing to know, and I must ask him more. Nobody else ever told me these things. Who is he? How does he know it is all true? The elder woman watched the eager, flushed face of the girl, and her heart throbbed with pride that this beautiful young thing belonged to her. She smiled indulgently. The rector, you mean? Why, I'll invite him to dinner if you wish to talk with him. It's perfectly proper that a young girl should understand about religion. It has a most refining influence, and the doctor is a charming man. I'll invite his wife and daughter, too. They move in the best circles, and I have been meaning to ask them for a long time. You might like to be confirmed. Some do. It's a very pretty service. I was confirmed myself when I was about your age. My mother thought it a good thing for a girl before she went into society. Now, just as you are a schoolgirl, is the proper time. I'll send for him this week. He'll be pleased to know you are interested in these things. He has some kind of a young people's club that meets on Sunday. Christian something, he calls it. I don't know just what, but he talks a great deal about it and wants every young person to join. You might pay the dues, whatever they are, anyway. I suppose it's for charity. It wouldn't be necessary for you to attend the meetings, but it would please the doctor. Is it Christian Endeavor? asked Elizabeth with her eyes sparkling. Something like that, I believe. Good morning, Mrs. Schuyler. Lovely day, isn't it, for December? No, I haven't been very well. No, I haven't been out for several weeks. Charming service, wasn't it? The doctor grows more and more brilliant, I think. Mrs. Schuyler, this is my granddaughter, Elizabeth. She has just come from the West to live with me and complete her education. I want her to know your daughter. Elizabeth passed through the introduction as a necessary interruption to her train of thought. As soon as they were out upon the street again, she began. Grandmother, was God in that church? Dear me, child, what strange questions you do ask. Why, yes, I suppose he was, in a way. God is everywhere, they say. Elizabeth, you had better wait until you can talk these things over with a person whose business it is. I never understood much about such questions. You look very nice in that shade of green, and your hat is most becoming. So was the question closed for the time, but not put out of the girl's thoughts. The Christmas time had come and passed without much notice on the part of Elizabeth, to whom it was an unfamiliar festival. Mrs. Bailey had suggested that she select some gifts for her relatives on her mother's side, as she always spoke of the Bradys, and Elizabeth had done so with alacrity, showing good sense and good taste in her choice of gifts, as well as deference to the wishes of the one to whom they were to be given. Lizzie, it is true, was a trifle disappointed that her present was not a gold watch or a diamond ring, but on the whole she was pleased. A new world opened before the feet of Elizabeth. School was filled with wonder and delight. She absorbed knowledge like a sponge in the water and rushed eagerly from one study to another, showing marvelous aptitude and bringing to every task the enthusiasm of a pleasure-seeker. Her growing intimacy with Jesus Christ through the influence of the pastor who knew him so well caused her joy in life to blossom into loveliness. 
The Bible she studied with the zest of a novel reader, for it was a novel to her, and daily as she took her rides in the park on Robin, now groomed into self-respecting sleekness, and wearing a saddle of the latest approved style, she marveled over God's wonderful goodness to her, just a maid of the wilderness. So passed three beautiful years in peace and quietness. Every month Elizabeth went to see her grandmother Brady, and to take some charming little gifts, and every summer she and her grandmother Bailey spent at some of the fashionable watering places or in the Catskills, the girl always dressed in most exquisite taste and as sweetly indifferent to her clothes as a bird of the air or a flower of the field. The first pocket money she had been given she saved up, and before long had enough to send the forty dollars to the address the man in the wilderness had given her. But with it she sent no word. It was like her to think she had no right. She went out more and more with her grandmother, among the fashionable old families in Philadelphia society, though as yet she was not supposed to be out, being still in school. But in all her goings she neither saw nor heard of George Trescott Benedict. Often she looked about upon the beautiful women that came to her grandmother's house, who smiled and talked to her, and wondered which of them might be the lady to whom his heart was bound. She fancied she must be most sweet and lovely in every way, else such as he could not care for her. So she would pick out this one and that one, and then, as some disagreeableness or glaring fault would appear, she would drop that one for another. There were only a few, after all, that she felt were good enough for the man who had become her ideal. But sometimes in her dreams he would come and talk with her, and smile as he used to do when they rode together, and he would lay his hand on the mane of her horse. There were always the horses in her dreams. She liked to think of it when she rode in the park, and to think how pleasant it would be if he could be riding there beside her, and they might talk of a great many things that had happened since he left her alone. She felt she would like to tell him of how she had found a friend in Jesus Christ. He would be glad to know about it, she was sure. He seemed to be one who was interested in such things, not like other people who were all engaged in the world. Sometimes she felt afraid something had happened to him. He might have been thrown from that terrible train and killed, perhaps, and no one know anything about it. But as her experience grew wider and she traveled on the trains herself, of course this fear grew less. She came to understand that the world was wide, and many things might have taken him away from his home. Perhaps the money she had sent reached him safely, but she had put in no address. It had not seemed right that she should. It would seem to draw his attention to her, and she felt the lady would not like that. Perhaps they were married by this time, and had gone far away to some charmed land to live. Perhaps a great many things. Only this fact remained. He never came any more into the horizon of her life, and therefore she must try to forget him, and be glad that God had given her a friend in him for her time of need. Some day in the eternal home, perhaps, she would meet him and thank him for his kindness to her, and then they might tell each other all about the journey through the great wilderness of earth after they had parted. The links in Elizabeth's theology had been well supplied by this time, and her belief in the hereafter was strong and simple like a child's. She had one great longing, however, that he, her friend, 
who had in a way been the first to help her toward higher things and to save her from the wilderness might know jesus christ as he had not known him when they were together and so in her daily prayer she often talked with her heavenly father about him until she came to have an abiding faith that some day somehow he would learn the truth about his christ during the third season of elizabeth's life in philadelphia her grandmother decided that it was high time to bring out this bud of promise who was by this time developing into a more beautiful girl than even her fondest hopes had pictured so elizabeth came out and grandmother brady read her doings and sayings in the society columns with her morning coffee and an air of deep satisfaction aunt nan listened with her nose in the air she could never understand why elizabeth should have privileges beyond her lizzie it was the bailey in her of course and mother ought not to think well of it but grandmother brady felt that while elizabeth's success was doubtless due in large part to the bailey in her still she was a brady and the brady had not hindered her it was a step upward for the brady's lizzie listened and with pride retailed at the ten-cent store the doings of my cousin elizabeth bailey and the other girls listened with awe and so it came on to be the springtime of the third year that elizabeth had spent in philadelphia End of chapter 14